Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be in the book of Micah. Micah, it's in the Old Testament. Um, it's right in that run of Old Testament uh, uh, minor, what, what are called the minor prophets, the shorter prophets. And uh, if you grew up in church and you have the little song in your head that helps you get through all of those, you can find it right after Jonah. Uh, if you have um, a paper version of the Bible, or as we like to call it, the analog version, uh, feel free to find your table of contents and then find Micah. That's also good. If you're a user of the Bible app, then you can open up um, that app and find our live event and follow along right now with all the scriptures and uh, sermon notes and so forth that is there. So we um, are, this is the first Sunday of Advent. And if you're not familiar with Advent, maybe you didn't grow up in a church that celebrated that, or uh, you didn't grow up as part of a religious tradition at all. Um, During Advent, Advent is uh, our time of anticipation. As we celebrate the first, excuse me, the four weeks preceding Christmas, leading up to Christmas, we celebrate the themes of hope, of peace, of joy, and of love. And in doing so, we ready ourselves for Christmas time. And the book of Micah is going to speak to us about those four themes of hope, peace, joy, uh, and love. And I don't know about you, uh, but somebody, uh, I texted a friend of mine, a pastor, pastors downtown, um, Houston, and um, he and I were exchanging encouragement this morning. Uh, And he wrote me back and he said, man, um, 2020 has felt like one long advent because we wait and 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 all along we're anticipating and hoping and anticipating and is this it is this going to change is it going to go back is it going to move forward how is this going to happen 2020 has felt like one long advent that seems to be pretty true i think for most of us as we anticipate here Um, we get to lock in on these four themes, hope, peace, joy, and love. And so to that end, um, we kind of give ourselves a visual cue by lighting a candle every week. Not because there's anything magic in it, not because there's anything uniquely even special about it, but it's just a visual cue for us to remind us that we um, have the opportunity to live as people of hope as people of hope, even today in our craziness. And so um, the context of Micah, before we actually jump into the text in chapter two, the context of Micah is pretty dark. It's um, actually really, really dark. Micah is a prophet of judgment. Um, And so he's not uh, uniquely talking about all sorts of great things that are going to happen in the future. Uh, There are bits and pieces of consolation in the text of Micah, but they are just bits and pieces. The vast majority of it is doom, gloom, bad news, 2020-esque kind of um, judgment. And so um, th- th- this is the situation into which Micah speaks. Just a touch of history that will help us understand. Micah is an 8th century prophet. So in the 700s BC, he was prophesying 
Um, and there were two kingdoms, the, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. The, the big kingdom under David and Solomon had been divided and the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. He's prophesying to the southern kingdom about things that are going to happen to the northern kingdom. Why? Because he wants people to see it before they, ex- they have to experience it themselves. Folks, listen to me. There are times when God lets us um, see things that are happening in other people's lives before we, as a warning even, before we experience them ourselves. And this is what's happening. Micah is saying, you see what's going on up there? Y'all better pay attention because this is what will happen here. And when you think about judgment, many, most even, I think people have Zeus in their mind, um, thunderbolt, wrath, angry, lake of fire, you know, that kind of thing. This is not the majority of the way that the Bible talks about the wrath of God. It's actually much scarier. When the Bible talks about the wrath of God, the vast majority of the time, not all of the time, but the vast majority of the time, God's wrath is simply giving us what we want. Is that scary to anybody? It is terrifying to me. Oh God, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want. God's like, uh, okay. All right. I'll let you have it. And thankfully so often God mixes mercy in with that because he doesn't let that, um, span generations. Mercifully, sometimes he speeds up the process of making a wreck out of our lives so that, um, he can redeem us in that moment. But his wrath is sometimes just, in fact, I would say oftentimes, giving us what we want. And in this particular context, in the book of Micah, uh, there are two things that the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, were doing. And just see if these sound familiar. They were, uh, God's people were putting their trust in kings and rulers, national leaders. And they enjoyed the power and the access that they had as a result of that. Does that sound reasonably familiar to anybody? It's like the eighth century prophet is speaking to 2020. And then the second thing uh, that they were doing was that uh, anyone who said differently or felt differently or posted differently or anything else about that, um, anything that uh, anybody who stood against that was ostracized and often oppressed. And that's, that's where Micah is. That is the zip code in which he is living. And that, those are the things that he is speaking to. Don't trust in leaders, kings, rulers, trust in God. Don't be the kind of people who turn away other opinions, but listen, listen to how God might speak to you. And so in this context of judgment, where, where do we find hope in the middle of something like Micah in his message in the eighth century or in the middle of something like 2020? Where, where's hope? I want to give you two statements uh, this morning Um, here. They flow out of Micah chapter two, 12 and 13. One of those little snippets of hope in the middle of judgment. Micah 2, 12 and 13. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens up the breach goes before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them. The Lord is at their head. That seems like a quirky little passage. And let's just say it is. But I think there's some hope here to be found in these two statements. Number one, if we're going to find hope um, in the middle of Micah and in the middle of our world, uh, let's, let's remember these two things. Number one, we are not 
alone. We are not alone. God gathers us. Did you see it at the beginning of verse 12? I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. Why is he gathering us? Why is he assembling us? Why, why is he pulling together a remnant of faithful people? Why is that? Because it's not because of who we are. It's not because of what we've done. In fact, as when you look at Micah chapter one, the first few verses of Micah chapter two, certainly Micah three, four, five, and six, um, uh, man, he is, he is loading down accusations against God's people and how they've done. So it's not, God is not going to do this on the basis of something that we've done. We think of ourselves as uh, kind of first round draft picks, a lot of us. Here I am, God. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not probably like a lottery pick or anything, but I mean, further down. Yeah. Some of you are like, well, not really me. I'm really like a second rounder, but God will be really happy that I'm on his team. Listen, it is not because of our behavior. It is because of who God is and who he is making us to be. It is because of identity. You see that uh, in the way that he names them. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather this remnant of Israel. God has named them. He has named them. He has given them this identity. And it is on the basis of this identity that he is going to gather them. And so we are not um, in this alone. It is his faithfulness that we're counting on, not our own. Because if I'm counting on my own faithfulness, I'm going to be in, in pretty bad shape. He, he, just, he seems to preserve this remnant, this group of people. He, he collects this people. That's important to you and to me because of this. It is never, ever, ever too late for you, ever. It is never too late for you. You you may think, oh, well, see, I got all this stuff, and I got this baggage, and these problems, and this situation. I got this addiction that I'm struggling with. I got this and I just, I think God's probably written me off. Listen, it is never too late for you. He doesn't gather. He doesn't create this kind of people based on their behavior based on who he is and what he wants to do um, in them. And, and here's the good news, I think. If, if he gathers us, then he knows where you are right now. If he gathers us, then he knows where you are right now. And because he knows where you are, he also knows what's going on. He knows where the situation is. He knows where the circumstance is. He knows how that relationship is happening right now. He knows the dynamic of your job scene. Uh, He knows the words that were spoken. He knows the hurt that you are experiencing. He knows where you are right now. And he knows what's going on right now. And better than that, he knows where he wants to bring you. Do you see how that's hope today that, that we are not in this alone? God himself is with us and he, he, he knows where we are. He knows what's going on and he knows where he wants to bring us. If he gathers us, then he knows those things. That's hope. What, where, where is he going to gather us? Look in verse 12. I'll gather this remnant of Israel, he says in the middle there, and then I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in his pasture. So he's picturing you just in your mind, picture the sheep, right? And this, this group of sheep, he's pulling them together in this pen, so to speak. Why is he pulling them together in the pen? Because he wants to protect them. His place that he is gathering them is the pen. It is the place of protection. And we see this in other parts of the scripture. I'll just give you a couple of them from the pen of David, probably the most famous Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23, I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Then he's, listen, listen to what he says, just a verse later. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I do not fear. Why? Because you are with me. And then he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They are protecting me. They are watching over me, shielding me. God's bringing us together. We're, we're not in this alone, and he's bringing us together um, for, for a sense of, hey, we're, we're in this, you and me. We're, there's protection here. He's, he's gathering us. Jesus, um, in John chapter 17, is getting ready to go to the cross, but he's praying before uh, he does that. And in John chapter 17, this is what he says. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Now, some of us, if we had a vote, we'd be like, excuse me, that's actually the ticket that I want punched right there. God, please take me out of this world. It's crazy. It's 2020. I'm not sure 21 is going to be any better. Get me out of this joint. Let's go. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. And furthermore, he's not going to let us withdraw. He's not going to let us fortress, build a bunch of high walls and say, good luck, everybody. I don't ask that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He's protecting us. He's gathering us to protect us. And then he says this just a couple of verses later, verse 18 in John 17. As you sent me into the world, what, what is he doing? I send them into the world. That's you and me. So he's protecting us. He's gathering us, but he's going to send us because he wants to give us a purpose and a mission. He wants to give us something to do. He doesn't want us just to hold back and and hang on and kind of ride this thing out. Um, We're we're not people hiding behind walls. We're people engaged in the world. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, protect them as you sent me into the world. So I send them. This is what Jesus is doing. He's going to allow us Uh, to be his witness, even as he's gathering us for our protection. And what we find when we get there, when we get a sense that this is what God is doing, he's gathering us and he's going to protect us. And then he's going to commission us. What we get a sense of is that, um, that we find God's people there. We find as we're gathered together, we find God's people there. Look at the end of verse 12. He says, I'm going to set them together, sheep in a fold, like a flock in his pasture, a noisy multitude of men. I don't know if that's what Thursday was for you. Again, some of you were quieter. Some of you had a noisy multitude of men. Some of you people who cooked, you wanted to kick that noisy multitude right out of the kitchen. Y'all get out of here. We got things to do. I, I don't know what it was like in your backyard or around your table, but in this particular scene, just picture this noisy multitude. We find that his people are there. It, and it is enough people to cause a ruckus, to get noticed, and to make a difference. And I, I don't have a better picture of this than this video. It's a little bit longer than a video I normally show. Just hang in there with me. It is, I think this is great. Watch this.
you can tell it's a little bit older video. They had these things called cameras. I don't know what those are about these days, but you want to know what a noisy multitude of men might sound? I mean, wouldn't that be awesome to be a part of? Now, if the one gal who strangely held on to the cell phone the entire time, it was really odd to me, but if the one gal just popped up and started singing and sang the whole thing by herself, everybody would go, eh, we're not so sure about you. But she wasn't alone. And the power, the power of that moment is in all of these people being together, a noisy multitude of people right next to Arby's and the walk place. And what did it do? It caught attention of, I mean, A, it would be awesome to be a part of that. That, That's amazing in and of itself. But B, it made a lasting impact on everybody who was in the room at that time. It caught people's attention. Listen, may that be true of us as he sends us out. He gathers us. That's true. We are his people and, and we find one another in that. But may, if you will, kind of our song, may the noise of our multitude be loud enough to make a lasting impact on those who are around us. May we be those kind of people. I think one of the great struggles that 2020 has set before us is it has magnified loneliness. Previously, I think we could probably hide it between our schedules and our jobs and social media and all, but it has magnified our loneliness and that whatever dysfunction was there, it has aggravated it so that it's greater and more cute than it was before. And we have, I think spiritually minded people have figured out, man, it's really good to gather. And to grow from that. It's spiritually beneficial to gather. It's why we're doing the things that we're doing. It's why we're planning the things that we're planning. It's important for us to gather. Not, not to gripe. That's what some people do when they gather these days. Let's get together and fuss at one another. Or fuss about other things. Things that we can't control. No, no. We get together to grow. And may the result of that be a noisy multitude that is not only great to be a part of, but catches everybody else's attention and makes a lasting impact. We are not in this alone. He gathers us. Secondly, uh, the statement, second statement of hope comes from verse 13. He who opens up the breach goes before them. They break through, pass through the gate, going out by it. The king passes on before them. The Lord is at their head. We're not only not in this alone, but secondly, we are not on our own. We're not on our own. God is with us and he is leading us. Not only does he gather us, but he doesn't just stick us in a place and go, okay, kids, good luck. He's leading us and he makes, he makes a way. He, look, you see at the beginning of verse 12, he who opens the breach. No, and if you get the idea, like he's the one who kind of kicks the door open. He's the one who, who makes the way. It, when we sing it around here, we sing, you're the way maker. That's how, that's how we phrase it. And indeed, God's the one who, who makes the way. He's the one who makes sure that we know that there is a way to walk out of this, whatever that we're in, wherever we, like there's a way for us uh, to walk out. What, what kind of way, two questions, I think follow that normally. What kind of way did he make? 
The answer is he made a way that is full of grace and truth. This is from John chapter 1, verse 14, a great Christmas Advent verse. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God came in human form. Jesus became a man. God, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. We have seen his glory. Glory as the only um, son from the father. And then it says this, full of grace and truth. And I think the, the struggle that we have in our day and in our age is that we don't get full of grace and truth. You think of it like an embrace. Um, some people think we're going to embrace them with grace. And it's not and truth, it's or truth. No, we're going to embrace them with grace. This is a person who gets the grace arm. That's not how Jesus came, and that is not the way that he made. He did not embrace them with grace only. Hey, it'll be okay. Some of us, though, are not on that side. We're on the truth side. We embrace them with truth, and sometimes that embrace looks a little bit more like this. Yes? But Jesus didn't come to embrace them with truth or grace. He came to embrace them with truth and grace, and not just sort of. Because the other struggle is to say, Oh, yeah. Well, I'm like 50% truth and 50% grace, but that's not how Jesus came. How did he come? He came full of grace and truth, both. And so when we embrace people, we embrace them both. And this is exactly the way that Jesus embraced you, a way that is full of grace and truth. He looks at you in your brokenness, in your dysfunction, in your problem, in your trouble, and he says what? He says what? Yes, this is who you are. Yes, these are problems. Yes, you do have this sin. Yes, this addiction is real. But he doesn't leave you there. He says, and I've got help. I've got grace for you and that full of grace and truth. So the question of what kind of way is it, that's one thing. Second question is, how? How did he go about making this way? This from John uh, chapter 10. Um, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, where that ellipsis is, he goes on to talk about there are people um, who are uh, simply um, hired hands and when danger comes, they run, but not Jesus. That's what he says. And then he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, meaning this is my plan. This is my volition. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it back up. And there's the gospel. There's the good news is that in our brokenness, in our trouble, in our struggle, in our problem, in our dysfunction, in our addiction, in our sin, God looks at us and he says, I'm not going to let it stand where it is. I'm the good shepherd and I'm going to lay down my life for you, my sheep. How did he make a way? He laid it, he made a way by laying down his life, taking on all of the brokenness and all the chaos and all the craziness that is our world. He took that on himself and bore it in himself so that we don't have to carry it anymore. And he rose again to give us a kind of freedom. He rose again to give us a kind of freedom that you and I can live in. And that's, that's where this next thing goes. He not only makes a way, but he leads He leads the way. Did you see that? He who opens up the breach, there's the way being made, but he then goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate going out by it. Their king passes on before them. The Lord is at their head. So what you need to get there in all of that kind of poetry is he's leading the way. In other words, we get to experience what he has achieved. He has kicked the door down and he has made a way for us. And then he's not holding the door open going, okay, kids, go get him. He's leading the way. He is the one going out. He is the one who goes before them. That's what it says. So listen, 
He is not asking you to step into something where he is not already present and he's not already at work. Church family, listen to me. Those of you watching online, listen, no matter what you encounter this week, no matter what you have going on this week, no matter um, what phone call comes, what email shows up, uh, what is, whatever happens, happens. Listen, Jesus is not asking you to follow him or to go to a place where A, he is not already there. And B, he's now already at work there. He leads the way. And you and I get to experience what he has achieved. The freedom can be genuinely ours. They break through the gate. They pass. They break through and pass the gate. They go out by it. This freedom can be genuinely ours. And we can follow our king as he goes forward. There's, there's no other place of hope. Who else are we going to trust in these days? Name a politician. Name a ruler. Name an education system. Name an economic system. Name anything that our culture says. Here's the answer. Name name it. We'll find that any hope that's placed in that is misplaced hope. Our hope is in the Messiah. He has come. And he has come to break through and to lead the way so that you and I can experience the kind of life that he wants for us. You and I get to live in the kind of life that he has for us. We get to follow him into that. He comes to gather us, to protect us, to commission us, and to lead us out into freedom. And if you're here in the room this morning or you're watching at home and you've never given your life to Christ, I want to invite you in this moment to call out to him and say, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Just say to him, Jesus, I want you to lead my life. He will forgive you of your sin. He will give you a new kind of life and he will help you to follow him. And guess the great news is you don't have to do this alone. We can do it together. We can do it together. So let me pray for us, and then we'll have a brief time of response. Father, now, as we've thought about hope, as we have given our minds to something, a a word that says not only are we not in this alone, but we don't have to operate and live as if we're going to, it all hangs on us. We don't have to do it alone. You're the one leading God, I pray that that would seep down into every crack, into every crevice, not only of the hearts of those in the room, but for those watching at home. God, there would be something that, um, something in what you've said that gets to places that we need hope the most. Marriages, kids, parents, jobs, those are all important. But God, my sense is that maybe even deeper than those things, God, would you grant hope? Holy Spirit, take the word that has been said and distribute it in a way that it lands on us and goes to work in us so that we're different. We don't want to be the same people. We want to be changed. So may that be 
our experience now. This is what we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.